Well, it's a lovely day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor, or however that goes, for the Inside EMS podcast. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and Pulsera is the proud sponsor of this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you could leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And with me always in the chair to my right is my good friend, Kelly Grayson, KG. How are you doing this week? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Working us to death, but um, we're we're handling it. Coronavirus is back. <laughs> Coronavirus never left, my friend. Never left. Yeah, but it's it has. Uh, you know what? It's you know what this is like. This is like the any Friday the Thirteenth or or Nightmare on Elm Street movie. The the intrepid teen heroines have have supposedly killed jason and then they do the really stupid thing and they walk up and they prod him with a stick or they poke him or, or something like that and he just reaches up and gets them well that's exactly what we've done with coronavirus you know we're like oh yeah we got this beat let's take off our masks and relax our our social distancing and get back to normal and he reaches up and gets us and that's that's what's going on right now well, I think one of the biggest challenges is the fact that um, people are saying this is the second wave, and I think we have to really yeah, think about it from the standpoint of it's truly the middle of the first wave. We were lured into a false sense yep. of security to think that this, you know, this pandemic was over or that it was safe or that it was. We did a good job of trying to minimize, uh, you know, the curve. And only to find out that there are people who are not following CDC guidelines. And it's a shame that this has to be politicized. And I have friends who are uh, saying they're not going to wear a mask. It's against my right to wear a mask. And one of those friends, Kelly, I I don't mind saying, he uh, contracted the virus and died. And gave it to his wife and daughter before he passed away. And uh, one of the guys oh, who thought that wearing a mask was against his, uh, you know, his rights, uh, he voiced it on social media considerably, and uh, he contracted it in the end of May, and he just passed away the uh, first week in July. And uh, my heart breaks for his family. I mean, they're great people. Uh, nobody, I mean, no man was ever loved more by his woman than uh, this mm-hmm. guy you know than this family and uh but it breaks my heart now that um you know you know this has to happen to that family but you know i i really and you and i do a good job of trying to stay away from politics on this show and all the things that bring in controversy i would just ask as medical professionals that we follow the scientists we follow the cdc guidelines of what we need to do and i don't uh, i walk around like i'm infected with the virus and i wear a mask to make sure that i don't infect anybody else but the people yeah. who are out there who do have the virus that don't want to wear a mask you will contract the virus if you are in close proximity of them kelly and and i just want to you know uh-huh. i just want to you know strongly request that uh, I would hate to see any of my peers uh, contract the virus and die because of them not being safe. This is this is the pandemic's version of universal precautions, my friend. Yep, yep. We uh, and I, I was going to say that, that we've always known you were infected with something. Uh, it's just not coronavirus. Uh, That's so cute. It's That's nice. Cute. You, Did you write that one? Did anyone you write that who's one? ever met you knows. Yeah. Anyone who knows who's ever met you knows that you're you're infected. Uh, 
I tell my friends, uh, Cebolera has three brain cells. One's infected, one's infarcted, and one's inhibitory. That's that's good. Very cute. Very cute. All right, so take it, talking about cute. Uh, so, you know, one of the things is, you know, Kelly, you and I get letter, uh, emails, uh, text messages. Uh, we get uh, messages on Facebook that talk about shows people want to hear. They talk about, uh, you know, giving us kudos for shows that we've done. They give us criticism for the shows that we've done and the positions that we take and how strong or weak we are on a specific issue. And we appreciate every single word that is written. But one of the ones that we've gotten a few times is people miss us doing the news. And for a while, we were really kind of going into the, the news and kind of just dishing on the latest topics that happen in EMS. And one of the things that we got away from that for was we wanted to try to stay more evergreen, that we were able to, you know, use content that people can listen to anytime. But I think that there are some stories in the news that we can really talk about this week that will really be valuable as we go on uh, throughout the month. So I'm going to give it to you the first one. And I read this story and I was just really happy to uh, be part of it uh, because I think I've been in EMS a long time. And this comes from our good friend, our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, the history of our the history of our history, 50 years of pre-hospital medicine. And, you know, we kind of talked to him about this a little bit earlier where he was kind of asking our opinion about how emergency kind of shaped the EMS career field. And I remember as a young boy watching emergency on TV and not ever imagining that I would ever become a paramedic. And it wasn't until the mid eighties where my career was kind of pushed into that, uh, into that direction. And uh, But 50 years ago, July 15, 1970, Governor Ronald Reagan, then Governor Ronald Reagan, signed the law, the Wedworth Townsend Paramedic Act, and that law created conditions for the establishment of the first accredited paramedic training program in the United States. Mm-hmm. And this is where California kind of took the lead. And, uh, you know, we got the, the show emergency from eventually. And But I got to tell you, I mean, one of the things that I think is that EMS has really kind of been around forever. But modern day EMS you know, really is just 50 years old. And we have to remember that all the challenges that we have within our career field, all the things that we think we know, all the experiences that we think we had, we're still a toddler when it comes to medicine. And uh, I don't know that we remember that that enough. I don't know that we respect it enough. But we have to remember that as a new career field, 50 years old, uh, we're writing a history for the next 50 years. And I think that this is a time that we should show some pride. But more importantly, we should think about the vision of what it looks like as we move forward. Yeah, you know, and I've, you echo a sentiment that I've, I've uh, frequently expressed in, in print and, and in, po- in podcasts and what, that we're in our, our adolescence as a profession. And, and, uh, and much like a, an adolescent uh, um, child, uh, we we're suffering some of the same growing pains, you know. Um, start, still trying to discover our identity, uh, full of idealism and and know it allness, uh, and we we're really not mature uh, as a profession. Um, uh, in the same way that the uh, teenager that thinks he's ready to conquer the world is really not mature uh, enough to to do everything that he thinks he can do. Um, but uh, it's. It's interesting. I was reading some stuff on the Woodworth Townsend Act 
on social media the other day, and, and what many people don't appreciate is how close it came to being vetoed by Ronald Reagan. Reagan was going to veto it, um, and uh, Walter Graff uh, um, was told that, that he was ready to veto it and drove down to see Reagan um, literally at the deadline for, for signing this legislation. And as the story goes, and I'm, I may, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, basically he, he drew a circle on, on a blotter on Reagan's desk and said, you know, this is this community. And, and then, or put his hand down and said, you know, this, uh, where his palm was, this was this community. And then all the fingers are these communities and they'll be able to do this and do that. Uh, and Reagan looked up at him and said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that this, these paramedic programs will be able to to cross geographic boundaries, and he said, "Yeah, that's the whole point. You know <laughs> that that you won't be uh, uh, they won't be limited by by uh, jurisdictions and, and geographic boundaries. They can they can do these things." Um, and uh, the uh, um, Reagan said, "Oh, well, I didn't know that," and signed the legislation because. Reagan's father died in 1940 uh, of a heart attack after a Los Angeles-based ambulance was restricted from entering Beverly Hills to attend the call. So, Graf, Graf uh, pulled our fat out of the fire, and thus uh, the, 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 the profession of paramedicine was, uh, was born right there in Los Angeles, but it was a close thing. Right. Reagan was ready to, to veto it uh, up until the last minute. So, yeah, very interesting, uh, very interesting such, stuff. Uh, such things turn. You know, I, and I think that that's really interesting. I didn't know that about uh, that it was going to be vetoed. But, you know, this was written again by our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence. And I just want to give a plug here to Rob because he's doing an incredible job. Of course, you know, one of the foremost leaders, EMS leaders in our career field. And uh, he does the EMS one spot. So he's got a great article here. I enjoy reading his stuff. But sometimes I don't have the time to read Rob's uh, articles. And, and, you know, the value of what he gives us is truly important. But he actually narrates his uh, articles as well on the EMS one spot. So if you don't have time to read this great article, mm -hmm. go ahead and go to EMS one spot with Rob Lawrence. And uh, he gives an eight-minute and 45-second overview of this article, and uh, you will not be disappointed. But what do you got for a news story, Kelly? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give props to my home state, by gosh, because uh, our uh, state of Louisiana has approved hazard pay uh, rebates for uh, emergency responders starting yesterday. Um, on a first-come, first-served basis, Louisiana Department of Revenue officials allocated $50 million to distribute these uh, $250 rebates uh, to EMS and, and uh, public safety. Uh, basically, it's EMS law enforcement, fire, and rescue personnel uh, who worked uh, more than uh, 200 hours or at least 200 hours uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic from March 22nd through May 14th. If you um, you uh, worked during the pandemic, you get this $250 rebate until the money runs out. Uh, the only flying ointment for me is, is it's a, you have to earn $50,000 a year or less. So I, I doubt I will qualify. Um, but that's, uh, I, I think that's, uh, putting, speaking truth to power and, and putting some, some teeth behind the words that, uh, our state has, and, and the media have, have painted us in public safety right now as, as 
these these frontline heroes. Um, and uh, it's nice to see my state coming up with some uh, some some backing to that, putting their money where their mouth is. I, we, I tease Louisiana because we, we kind of flip-flop with Mississippi on being uh, the last, uh, the, the 49th or 50th ranked state in, in a whole bunch of categories that are uh, not a good to be ranked last in. Um, but in terms of emergency medical services, uh, we're actually a pretty good state regulation-wise and scope of practice-wise. And our, our state EMS office uh, is a, a small group of hardworking people that that um, uh, treat us well and 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 do a god good job managing uh, the EMS system in our state. Uh, I tell people that we we're screwed up, like just like any other state, but at least we have some idea of how screwed up we are. <laughs> and uh, uh, this fifty million dollars is a testament to that. We're we're actually um, taking care of our, our our first responders out there. And I think that that's really important. And when we think about uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these states who are talking about hazardous duty pay, a lot of these states who are talking about, uh, you know, all the things that we talk about, I, I can't even go through them again. Yeah. So it's good to see that a state yeah. is really kind of... Pennsylvania is doing tuition assistance and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, there are some states out there that are, that are really uh, stepping up. And I think that that really has to expand. Uh-huh. I mean, I really think that we have to be able to make certain yeah. Oh, yeah. that we're giving the uh, you know the credit to the people who are doing the work. And I fear now that it's only going to get worse. But uh, uh, we got another great news story. But before we do that, Pulsera is the only first net listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and the receiving ED, Pulsera One unites teams seamlessly on one single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like video calls, ECG and image uploads, audio and data, and key benchmarks. Pulsera United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expand scope of practice such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsera makes communicating with healthcare facilities in the region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate. For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. You know, Kelly, one of the questions... Uh, one of the stories that I read uh, yesterday, and it really kind of gave me a little bit of uh, pause to remind us how, just how challenging our EMS uh, careers are. A Missouri paramedic is left paralyzed after an ambulance crash. A 60-year-old woman is suspected of driving while intoxicated in a crash. That seriously injured paramedic Eric Bedwell and Captain Greg McGuire. And, you know, we, we, we think about the pandemic and we think about all the challenges that we have in EMS, but I think that we forget sometimes just how dangerous it is to be a paramedic. And just because we leave in the morning does not mean, especially in this day, and I, I, I made this comment the other day, that, you know, the way that we did our our business in the old days is not the way that we have to do our business in the new days. You know, we're giving body armor to paramedics. We're considering arming paramedics. You know, we're considering all these things to keep paramedics safe. We we got a rough business back in the old days. 
we had a lot more respect. The police had a lot more respect. First responders had a lot more respect. Now, we leave in the morning, and we may not come home the way that we left in the morning. And unfortunately, um, this uh, young man, 27-year-old Eric Bedwell, along with a, uh, a 39-year veteran EMS captain uh, and the patient, were injured. And now uh, Mr. Bedwell is... Um, uh, paralyzed from the waist down because they were struck by alleged uh, intoxicated person. And, you know, this really kind of goes to the safety, scene safety and being on scene and, and what that means or, you know, being able to ensure that we stay as safe as we are. But I was a little bit uh, hurt uh, to hear that somebody who is dedicating their life to delivering the highest quality of patient care to the people that need us um, now is going to have to live in a wheelchair uh, for the rest of his days, his young life. And it was just a very, very sad. And Kelly, I, I don't know what the answer is, but do we have to just be able to come to a point of saying EMS is, is a dangerous career field and uh, we, you know, we need to be able to rethink how we're doing our business uh, because uh, it could take our life? Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, you've said this many times on this podcast. This is one of your catchphrases, uh, keep your heads on a swivel. Um, and I've pointed out to, to students and colleagues in the past that there is no guarantee that you're only required to to put on a uniform and go to work. There is no guarantee that you come back. And, and every firefighter, every cop knows that implicitly. Uh, the, the responders who lost their lives on 9-11 uh, understood the same thing, that sometimes there is no such thing as a safe scene. And you do what you can to mitigate the risk, but you recognize that there is a certain degree of risk involved. Uh, and, and, and the industry should should take as many steps as are necessary to mitigate that risk, but you cannot eliminate it entirely. Uh, and, and when something like this happens to this young paramedic in, in Jefferson County, uh, um, we need to rally behind them. Uh, their agency needs to rally behind them, and, and the EMS community needs to rather rally behind them. Uh, they have uh, they've set up a... Uh, uh, um, emergency uh, recovery fund uh, at the First State Community Bank for anyone who wishes to donate. And, and I would like to see, you know, Chris, it's, we, we are blessed, you and I, in that we have a platform that many paramedics do not have. Um, and, and what's the sense of having a platform if you can't use it now and then? This is, this is the instance where, where uh, having this, this podcast uh, is, is really uh, hits home for me. Because we can, we can get the word out and say, uh, one of our brothers is hurting, uh, and he has suffered a life-changing injury, and he's going to need our help. Uh, and and uh, if you have the means uh, to donate, uh, I encourage you to do so, uh, because he's got a long road of recovery ahead, and uh, it's going to be financially and physically taxing. Uh, to, to get back to where he was if he ever can. I was, uh, you know, I read on social media the other day that uh, about a, a uh, woman that refused to wear a mask inside a Starbucks and the Starbucks barista told her that she could not come inside without a mask uh, and she complained and, and it was a big kerfluffle because the Karen wouldn't wear a mask. And they started a GoFundMe campaign for the barista and this guy got $100,000 in tips, $100,000 in tips uh, um, through this GoFundMe campaign for telling this woman to, uh, 
to that she can't come into Starbucks without a, a mask. And and a friend in the the firearms community the other day found out that uh, his family uh, land was going to be seized for back taxes uh, after his his mother died, and uh, he didn't have the money. He was going to lose all of his uh, his family property. Uh, and the firearms community rallied together, and within 48 hours or so, they had uh, more than the goal, uh, the fundraising goal to to pay the back taxes and and uh, um, keep his land. If that sort of thing, that sort of support for your brethren can can happen in in the groundswell support in just a few days, uh, I think that um, that we can we can rally together and support this young man, um, and uh, hopefully uh, get uh, Eric Bedwell some some better support uh, for the long road recovery he has. Ed, what do you think? No, I agree, man, and I think that one of the things that we've got to think about is, uh, you know, when in need, we need to try, and, and uh, you know, you think about it, if everybody just has a dollar, and, you know, they're giving this guy a dollar, and, uh, you know, it's something to get him by, and it's not really about the money right now, it's really about him trying to figure out how he lives his life, but, Kelly, this could have been you, This you know, this could have been me, and we need to be able to um, you know, be as safe as we can. And, and we, we have to change the concept of our career field and the thought of it. But we have to remember that uh, we may leave the house one day and we may not come home the way that we left. And I, I think that this is more and more of a reality within our career field that we're not sharing with uh, the younger folks. But, uh, you know, I think this has been a really great show. And I think that we need to pay attention to the news a little bit more. But, uh, I'm really excited to have uh, talked about all these things, man. What do you think? Uh, I, I would like to go back to covering the news uh, a little more frequently, and I, I think we should do that. I look forward to doing it. Uh, and I'll close in saying that, man, if, if all you do is follow the news, uh, that's a recipe for depression. But there are good stories out there if you take the time to look for them. Um, and and we need to, to highlight those stories whenever possible. Uh, because the world is uh, the world is not as horrible places as uh, the uh, current state of affairs would have you uh, have you believe, um, and uh, and stories of quiet heroism are out there every single day. We just don't hear about them. So uh, look forward to us covering more of these in the future and and chewing the fat about uh, what's going on currently in EMS. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Is there a story of, of EMS uh, good deeds and heroism that, that hasn't gotten uh, wide reporting? Uh, we'd like to hear about it so we can we can give props to our colleagues. Um, email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Civilero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.